Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the conversation. I am John Idarella, normally a host of the Damage Report, stepping in today to give you a pair of interviews of awesome candidates. Just shortly, we're going to be speaking with Kathy Kunkel, candidate for the West Virginia's second district for Congress. A little bit later on, we're going to be joined in studio, actually, which is exciting. Doesn't happen all the time. Jacob Martinez is a candidate for the Mesa, Arizona City Council District 3. So that'll be just a little bit later on. And after that, we are going to have, of course, the post game. Anna Kasparian will be back in for that. But why don't we jump right into it with our first candidate, candidate for West Virginia's second district, Kathy Kunkel. Welcome to the conversation. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to have you on. Uh, and, and as always, I, I like to get to know the candidate a little bit. But before transitioning into politics, tell me a little bit about some of your your work experience, what you're going to bring into this position. Yeah, I've spent the last ten years uh, working in energy policy here in West Virginia. Um, I've uh, testified to the Public Service Commission on behalf of consumer groups. Um, I've fought for stronger energy efficiency and renewable energy programs in West Virginia, um, and I've also um, done this kind of energy policy work on behalf of uh, consumer and environmental and labor groups around the country, um, including most recently in Puerto Rico as well. Um, and one of the reasons I'm running really is uh, my frustration for the the lack of political leadership here in West Virginia as our economy has been transitioning away from coal. Um, there's really been uh, no plan and no attempt to sort of revitalize our economy. Um, it's just empty promises about bringing back the coal industry, which is not happening. And uh, we heard some of that even at the presidential level back in 2016. And so uh, that's that's really interesting. Obviously, it's been a traditional part of the economy there. Um, I, I've read some of what you've written about this, and you're not giving any false promises that that it's going to be able to maintain. I mean, even without a big change in policy, it is trending downward. So. Um, if you were to get this position, what would your approach be? What is the path forward if not sort of re attempting to reinvigorate the coal industry? Yeah, I mean, I think um, West Virginia's economy uh, needs an infusion of federal infrastructure investment um, just for you know basic things that we need to function in the 21st century, like rural broadband, um, like safe drinking water, um, transportation investments as well. Um, and you know, if we're uh, we're talking about uh, and you know, building an economy for the future here, it also means just guaranteeing basic rights for workers, um, including you know, health care for all, public education, and labor rights. Um, West Virginia has historically had a very strong uh, labor movement, and we've seen that decline in the last um, you know, 30, 40 years as we have in the rest of the country. Um, and you know, traditionally, the working class in this country Middle class has been strong when we had a strong union movement, and we need to we need to be making it easier and not harder for folks to join unions and to fight for rights as workers. So, you know, I think um, you know bringing in federal infrastructure investment and uh, bringing in supporting small businesses and you know tourism and other sectors of the economy that can um, that can grow here in West Virginia as the fossil fuel economy declines and then just overall across the board support for working families is what we need to to create an economy here that is um, you know that is equitable for all of us and is not you know caught up in the boom and bust cycle that has always defined our economy here and that has never really brought lasting prosperity to West Virginia. So your, your backgrounds in energy, obviously that informs your approach to uh, the future of uh, the energy industry inside of 
West Virginia. Um, and I saw on your website that, that you, you, you focus quite a bit on uh, dealing with a number of different environmental issues, both inside of West Virginia, but also uh, climate change, which of course goes across state and national boundaries. Um, so your efforts at, in Congress will affect West Virginia, but also um, depending on who we get as president could be instrumental in dealing with the climate crisis at the national level. So what is your approach there? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, nationally we need a very strong commitment to climate to addressing climate change. I mean, it's you know, it's obviously affecting us um, across the country, across the world. Here in West Virginia, we've had you know a lot of severe flooding, um, deadly flooding in recent years, um, and you know we need to be ma making a commitment to. Um, cutting greenhouse gas emissions basically as rapidly as possible is what the science is telling us at this point. And you know, from the perspective of coming from West Virginia, I want to fight to make sure that whatever climate policy is enacted at the national level, that Appalachia has a real uh, seat at the table in that conversation, and that we're you know fighting to make sure that the the debt that the rest of the country owes to Appalachia for the the coal and the gas that have powered our country for so long is repaid in terms of you know federal infrastructure investment and other things that we need to revitalize our economies here and transition away from the fossil fuel industry. Uh, the polling can certainly change at the national level, but as of right now, the top three generally in national polls, Biden, Warren, and Sanders, uh, all at, at least in rhetoric say that they support something like a Green New Deal to uh, deal with the climate crisis. Is that the sort of uh, framework that you would want to support if you were to get into Congress? Yeah, I mean, I think generally that's the framework that's needed, you know, is a, a rapid uh, reduction in greenhouse gas emissions coupled with um, investments, federal investments in infrastructure to help uh, transition our economy and, you know, particularly the parts of the parts of our country that have been very dependent on the fossil fuel economy. Now, in terms of uh, uh, running in this race in West Virginia, I've actually read that that particular district is a particularly difficult district to run in because of the way the media markets work out. It's pretty costly to do advertising. I'm curious, you're coming in as, as someone who doesn't have a long history in electoral politics. How is that influencing the way that you're running? Yeah, I mean, it certainly is. So, you know, part of the, it's a very uh, diverse district that goes from Charleston in the southern part of the state to the eastern panhandle of West Virginia, which is basically a suburb of DC and is in the DC media market, as you mentioned. But, you know, for us, we're really focused on running a grassroots campaign here. We've been traveling throughout the district this fall. We've held over 20 um, house parties and town halls, and we're going to be keeping that up through the winter and hiring field staff and building out a campaign that's going to be you know, knocking on doors and having real conversations with West Virginians about the issues that matter in this state. So, you know, we're not um, we're not going to be by any means running a, a campaign that's, you know, focused on winning through TV ads. Okay, and um, based on my research, and, and I apologize if, if I just missed it, it didn't seem as if um, inside of the, the Democratic side that you're currently facing any opposition. Is that the case? That's the case, yeah. And the the filing deadline here in West Virginia is in January, so I can't say that with certainty yet. But that's the okay. case at the moment. And so it looks like you know, barring some change in the next few weeks, you would be going up against Alex Mooney, the current Republican incumbent. Um, tell us a little bit about Representative Mooney. Yeah, so Representative Mooney has represented this district district since 2014. Um, he moved to West Virginia in 2013 to run for that seat, having lost an election in Maryland. Um, and he has really been, quite frankly, a very absentee congressman in this district. He's very rarely seen in the district. I've 
never heard known of him to have an in-person town hall or to debate a candidate running against him. And he's really done very little for the district. You know, the votes that he's taken to, to repeal the Affordable Care Act, to privatize the VA, I think have gone against the interests of his constituents here. You know, I, I was doing a bit of research on how the district has voted in the past few um, presidential cycles. And it seems like it's been, it's not one of the most blowout uh, districts or anything like that, but it, but it has trended red. Um, and so I'm curious, based on what you said there, do you feel like it's sort of just an expectation that, that he doesn't need to campaign particularly hard, sort of like uh, resting on his laurel sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, generally his strategy has been to to run with you know TV ads and and mailers and sort of run on the the bandwagon of 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 Trump and the Republican establishment. Um, and so, you know, I think, but I think one of the things that is really important to recognize about West Virginia, even though it is portrayed in the national media as a red state, um, is that it's also a very anti-establishment state. And mm -hmm. I think we saw that last year when we had our school service personnel strike uh, that you know sparked a wave of, of strikes around the country, that there's just a lot of um, you know, a lot of people who are very frustrated with both the Democratic and the Republican establishments here and who want to fight for basic things like public education and health care. You know, so you mentioned a couple of policies there, but but you point out this anti-establishment streak. So how does that influence some of the other, as you're campaigning, you're doing these town halls that you've been talking about. What are some of the other issues that are that are being brought up by your potential constituents? Yeah, I mean, well, the addiction crisis is huge in West Virginia, as it is in many parts of our country. Um, and also infrastructure is huge. Um, you know, people are very frustrated by not having um, basic internet access. You know, I have teachers tell me that they're, you know, trying to teach their students about 21st century technology and they can't even get online. Um, and so, you know, the, there's... There's just a real sense, I think, that West Virginia has been left behind by the establishment of both parties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I mean, you point out that they are—they're—they're they're obviously frustrated with both parties, but that's the sort of thing that Donald Trump was very explicitly campaigning based on: was uh, they've all ignored you. I'm going to be the one who isn't. Have you have you heard any sort of? Is there still lingering trust in Donald Trump to potentially be the guy who's going to break through that? I mean, as sure, there's still a lot of support for Donald Trump in West Virginia. Um, my sense is that um, it has is not as strong as it was in 2016, and I think some of that, you know, is the the promises that Trump made, for example, to to bring back the mines um, that simply have not happened. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we mentioned a couple of different um, policy areas. Uh, tell us a little bit about. You mentioned healthcare. What are what are some of your plans in that area? Yeah, I mean, well. Fundamentally, you know, I support a Medicare for all universal health care system. I mean, I think it's very important that we um, have, you know, a single payer system, universal health care that covers everyone and that um, takes the burden of health insurance uh, away from uh, businesses who, you know, are being, being squeezed um, by having to provide health care coverage for their employees. Um, and, you know, I think um, having a single payer healthcare system would also allow the government to negotiate prescription drug prices, which is obviously a huge problem in West Virginia and elsewhere. Um, and I also want to see us investing more in the, the National Health Services Corps so that we can you know, attract and retain more um, 
more healthcare professionals in rural parts of our country, including West Virginia. Well, you know, one one area you just talked about, uh, you could find yourself uh, immediately working on that if you get into Congress. Um, there was a bill passed yes. today that had to do with renegotiation. Trump has said he previously had said that he supports that. Now he's saying he's going to veto it. So uh, that might be on your desk on day one. Right. Um, so uh, I want to give uh, you a chance to tell people where they can find out more about your candidacy if they want to donate or volunteer. Uh, where should they go? Yes, um, you can go online to kunkelforcongress.com um, and follow us on social media at Kunkel for Congress. Uh, Kathy Kunkel, candidate for West Virginia's 2nd District, uh, thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, we're going to take a short break here, uh, but stick around because we've got another candidate in studio after this. Welcome back to the conversation. We're joined by another candidate this time in studio, which is always exciting. Candidate for Mesa, Arizona City Council District 3, Jacob Martinez. Welcome to the TYT studios. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Thank you. We really appreciate you making the trip out. We do yeah. a lot of interviews, but as I keep saying, it's it's different when you're in yeah. the room with the person. So we were talking a little bit before this and uh, one of the first impressions that you probably get when people see you is that you are not one of the okay boomer type politicians. You're a little bit younger, not yeah. even a millennial actually. Yeah, Gen Z. Okay, there you go. Probably one of the first Gen Z politicians then. So um, you're running for city council. Yes. Uh, you had an interest in politics at a young age, mm. right? Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I mean, my, my interest in politics started very young, and, and that was really just. Interest in kind of what was happening, you know. I really didn't have an involvement. I wasn't really, you know, grassroots. But you know, I was kind of kin to seeing what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, I got you know more and more involved. Um, and and you know, it's gotten to the point now where I decided that you know really I can take that to the next step and run and and try and you know make the city that I lived in my whole life mm-hmm. a better place. Exactly. And tell us a little bit about some of the issues that brought you into politics. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the biggest things that, that really kind of propelled me, and, and we'll probably talk about it a little bit more. Um, and I, you know, I, if any of your viewers remember from from last time I was on here, I used to be the chairman of the Teenage Republicans, mm-hmm. and and after the shooting in Parkland, I decided to step down because. You know, leading up to that, the GOP had already, you know, so many issues, and I don't even want to call it the GOP, uh, but the Republican Party had so many issues. And then, you know, children and, and kids were dying in their high school, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I'm in class just like they are. And something like this could happen to me, mm-hmm. and the Republican Party refused to take action. Okay. And for me, that was the tipping point. And I and I stepped down, and I voiced my concern. And um, here we are, you know, almost two years later, and yeah. fighting for progressive causes. So uh, I want to talk about that issue, but before we we get to that, you were you said chairman of uh, of the Republican. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Um. So I'm curious, what why why the Republicans at that time? I mean, I just from my own point of view, when I was that young. I mean, I wasn't even really paying attention to politics, let alone getting involved in one particular party. Yeah. So, what is it that drew you to the party? You know, it, it was really just kind of what I, who I was surrounded by. You know, especially the school I went to. I was at a charter school, and and I would talk to the the administration and the staff there, and they were very, very far right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really big on on kind of shaping my views at that point. And then as I started to talk to more people in the Republican Party, you know, it was really kind of a pushing, keep going, keep going. Um, and to where I was kind of like their poster child, especially in the Arizona. Yeah. Um, and then it got to a point where it's like, you know, I, I divert from you guys on on a couple issues, and you know, you're calling for my head, mm. and and that I mean, we need to. If the Republican Party ever wants to succeed, they need to drastically change their platform and really get mm. in the 21st century because. As it stands right now, I mean, they're they're not going to succeed. Yeah, yeah, and to the extent that they think that they can, it's probably not with people your age voting for exactly. them. They think we need to motivate the the people who've been voting for us for sixty years at this yeah. point. 
So um, the, the shooting happens and you get involved in grassroots activism around that issue. So tell me a little bit about that and some of the, the frustrations that you experienced while doing that. Yeah, well, so even before you know resigning, um, I got involved with March for Our Lives Arizona and I was the, the lead organizer, one of the lead organizers for organizing that out there. And we were trying constantly to get meeting with different legislators and, and state officials, the governor. And every single time we mentioned what we were talking about, the door was slammed in our face. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, uh, you know, these individuals, these electeds that were Republican, they knew me, and, and that was kind of an in. But then, as soon as we started talking about this issue, it they was, knew you from your previous. Yeah. Okay. And 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 as soon as you know they heard gun safety, the door, you know, it's done. Um, and that really showed that like they're not open to talking about this. You mm -hmm. know, just a couple months ago, I had I had a, an elected official come up to me, and was was uh, just harassing me because I was at an event campaigning. Um, and and she, I said, you know, we need to work together. We're not getting anything done if we don't. And she said, no, we don't. We don't work with Democrats. It's not what we do. And um, I mean, honest, that's really, I yeah. I mean, it shows that you know um, they're not willing to work together, and that's mm -hmm. that's not that's not what we need right now. Yeah. You know, so I'm curious. You said that you you got the cold shoulder, or shoulder, or literally the closed door when it came yeah. to the Republicans. But there's a lot of Democrats that are bad. On this issue, or don't prioritize it. Did, did you find that they were more receptive to meetings and talking out possible legislation? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in Arizona, we have we have our fair share of, of you know really moderate Dems that don't want to talk. You know, don't really want to be at the forefront of this issue, mm -hmm. um, and and that's fine. But you know, they took the time to talk with us, and and I I really respect that because even though they don't want to take these drastic measures like you know like we may have wanted to. Um, they were willing to have the conversation, and that's all we wanted from Republicans. We mm -hmm. weren't asking them to be a you know a prime sponsor on a gun control bill, but we wanted to talk to them. Yeah, and and that wasn't happening. Okay, so you make the decision to run for city council. What's that like? How do you how do you go from the from being an activist previously yeah. involved in you know, party politics to deciding to actually run? I mean, it was really just seeing things that were happening in my city and and not be happy with them. Um, you know, I live in Mesa and, and we have the highest utility rates in the county, and 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 that's I mean, it's just crazy because especially in my district, you know, we have a very high minority and and you know lower income population, mm -hmm. and and they're just you know, you know, hiking up these regressive taxes and 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 putting it back on people, and and really, it's not even that it's a regressive tax because. You know they're putting this in place because they don't have to get it voter approved. Mm -hmm. That's why they've they've been putting all these policies in place, and it's hurting. It's not hurting you know the richer people in, in the in the eastern side of town, but it's the people in my district, and those are the people we need to be fighting for. Okay, and uh, tell me a little bit more about your platform. If you get into office, what are what are some of your initial uh, priorities? We need to get back to listening to voters. I mean, we have seen you know especially on this you know on, on utility rates, but then just representation in general. Um, there's there's no accountability. Mm -hmm. You know they they're they're. They're just spending money. They're doing whatever they want, um, which you know, when it comes down to it, voters aren't having any say. Voters have actually rejected measures um, uh, because you know they were aggressive taxes that they didn't want, and the city council turned around and did it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that really shows a lack of, of of regard for what the voters are saying. So we were talking before this. You said you've been running for about a year now. Mm -hmm. And um, still more than a year to go, yeah. or, or uh, around a yeah, year, roughly. yeah, right around a year. So um, as you've been talking with people, you've mentioned um, some of the the regulatory changes that have been made that that you're saying aren't supported by the people there. Mm -hmm. um, they're not listening. All of that. Are you feeling that when you're talking to your theoretical constituents? Oh, absolutely. Uh, when I and you know I've been going door to door, you know, basically since the beginning. And as I'm talking to people, I mean, they're angry. People don't feel heard. And and something I get a lot is, you know. You're the first person to knock on my door in years, mm. and that's because I mean, really, it's come down to they have a lot of money. 
they're you know they're backed by these big developers and all these special interest groups, and and you know they they feel like these seats they're entitled to them, mm-hmm. and and we just really need to do away with that. You know I'm not backed by developers, I'm not backed by all these you know special interest groups, mm-hmm. um, and and you know this is really a grassroots talking to the people. Let's fix these issues campaign. Okay. So you say you're not backed by those people. There's certainly a lot of negatives in terms of you know actually being able to represent the people if you're backed by those those yeah. groups. The benefit is that they will write checks. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me about you're coming in as not just you know sort of new to politics, but also young. What are some of the challenges of campaigning? It's fundraising. I mean, you know, and as we were talking about, you know, a lot of you know politicians that maybe a little bit older than me, you know, their go-to and and kind of the lines you hear all the time is, you know, go down your contacts list and talk to every person mm-hmm. you know. And as a younger candidate, um, and really any younger person in general that might want to do anything that's involved with fundraising, you know, our networks are a little bit different. We don't have people who are able to write five hundred, one thousand dollar checks. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a campaign like this, especially when there's so much money going against you, that gets hard. Yeah. Um, and that's really, I mean, that's going to be imperative to making this a successful campaign and keeping going. Is going to mm-hmm. be, you know, that ability to to raise money, especially. And I mean, it's going to be, you know, the grassroots progressive people that are going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so the the person you're running against, you don't know for sure, right? Uh, the incumbent Francisco Heredia mm-hmm. hasn't yet filed he for. Filed. He's running. Oh, he is running he now. Is okay, running. okay. So, so uh, I'm curious. Then, uh, obviously, been around for a bit. We, we talked about some of the negatives of running as a younger candidate. Well, what are some of the advantages that you found? People like to see bold, new, fresh ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as I've been talking to people, you know, originally the thought, and especially kind of the people around me, were like, "Is your age going to be an issue? Is it going to hurt you?" And and you know, I really wasn't quite sure. I didn't think it was, but I, I didn't really know because I hadn't done it yet. Mm-hmm. But as I've gotten out there and as I've been talking to people and then talking to voters, you know, I realize that it's much more of an asset than it is a liability. Mm-hmm. People are excited to see new people in politics. They're so tired of the same old old boys club, especially in the city of Mesa, that's been there and been in, in you know in power for the last couple of decades. Yeah. Um, and so they're excited to see a change and, and I'm excited to give it to them. You know, I was curious about one other thing. So you talked about the, the work that you did with uh, March for Our Lives, but you also worked in literally voter registration. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of organizing seems like it would come in handy when you're trying to, especially at the city level where turnout isn't necessarily so high. Yeah. I, I assume that has to be a benefit. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm actually very proud of that. Um, last December, I partnered with some organizations. And in West Mesa alone, um, by myself, I was able to register 300 new young voters awesome. um, to vote. And then that was really, I mean, that's, you know, put campaigning and put that aside. Millennials and, and Gen Zers, we make up the largest voting block in the country. If we all turned out and voted, you know, no other demographic would matter. That that's yeah. the 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 power that we have. And so getting people to acknowledge that and register to vote and take that first step is really just going to be great and and hopefully, you know, we saw a record-breaking turnout in the midterms. Mm-hmm. And hopefully as we go into 2020 and beyond, we continue to see that. Um, and you know, as I love I hope that that benefits my campaign, but really in the broader scale of things, you know, it could really help our country. And where can people find out more about your campaign? Uh, my website is uh, martinezformesa.com, F-O-R, mesa.com. Um, you can find all information on my campaign. If you're interested in donating, that's gonna be the most imperative thing um, that I need help from progressives right now. Um, it's really appreciated, um, and everything you need to know will be on that website. Awesome, well, Jacob Martinez, thank you. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And uh, thank you for watching the conversation, we really appreciate it. Uh, we've got an awesome uh, post game coming up. Uh, Anna Kasparian is gonna be back in the studio, so uh, stick around, starts pretty soon.